Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this week are Paddy Bruton, who is with Forestry Services, Pat Murphy, who is one of the candidates for Deputy President of the IFA. I will also be talking to Abby Machinery, whom I met at the National Ploughing Championships. And finally, Rosemary McDonough joins us with a few words on Budget 2023 Stroke 24. My first guest this morning is Michael Freeney from Chagastown in Clonmel. Good morning, Michael, and thanks for joining us. Hello, Jim, and thanks for having me. Okay, Michael, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things. So let's start off with all those schemes that are out there. Jim, I suppose I was just listening recently to to a colleague of yours on on another radio station, and he passed a comment that there's nearly a scheme at this stage for every week in the year. Now, he said it tongue-in-cheek, and I suppose I was thinking afterwards, he mightn't be too far on. But I suppose, joking aside, um, there's been a number of of extensions recently to different schemes, and maybe just quickly to touch on those. I suppose one is the... um, the closed slurry period, which is an extent, has been extended twice already, but that's closing tomorrow, the 15th, and that's, that'll be done. It was considering the rain we've had during the week, I suppose that put an end to that anyhow. Mm-hmm. The other one, I suppose, as, as an aside to that, there's a little bit of confusion associated with the two. Slurry is closing, like I said, tomorrow. Then soil water, I suppose, pretty much mainly on dairy farms, that's still okay until the, until the 9th of December. The other one, then, I suppose, is, the, is a new one. The, we won't go into too much, but the fertiliser closing stock is also, to tell us, it's going to be a, a soft uh, closing day. But that's tomorrow, the 15th. But I suppose they will have to be, um, people who register for that will we'll have to submit those um, fairly fairly soon. Mm-hmm. But I suppose just on that, it's a huge change, Jim, and maybe just to, to put, get people to think about it. I suppose up to this year, you know, currently there's, I think, seven and a half, eight thousand people in Derrickson, who do nutrient management plans. The Department was telling us that they expect somewhere um, in, the, in the region of 140,000 people, give or take, to be on this fertiliser register when it's done and dusted. So that's a, that's a big jump. Mm-hmm. And if you, can, I mean, if you consider what's going to happen, say, from the 1st of January onwards, I presume by, by extension, they'll have the closing stocks. So there'll be an open fertiliser stock next spring, if any. Um, there'll be a closing stock in sometime, I presume, next, next fall, next September. And in between... Um, by a process of deduction, I suppose, you look at the fertiliser that was used. So really, that's what I'm saying is just for people to think that, in effect, there's going to be an allowance you know, of nitrogen and phosphorus, which is what the department will be looking at on every farm. And I suppose you know, people will need to know what that limit is on their farm. And then, OK, people who don't spread fertiliser, that's fine. Organic farmers, I suppose, who don't take in any such or slurry, won't need to know either, but even those far- organic farmers who take in sludge or slurry would probably need to know what the limits are. So really, yeah, that's just to put people on guard, but that's coming that's coming down the tracks, and it's upon us, really. So really, I suppose to complete, to know what your limits are, I suppose, there's two things, I suppose. One, as we've mentioned many, many times, Jim, um, myself and my colleagues, I'm sure, side samples, I know it's only middle of October, but look, it's something to think, keep in mind during the winter, um, yeah, but the next spring, that maybe something that people should put in their diary somewhere along the line to take soil samples. Now, I'd be saying to people, look, if you want to do it, take one sample for every 10, 10 acres, every four hectares, mm-hmm. and do the whole farm. You know, some people go off and do a business of farm, but look, you may do it correctly when you're doing it at all. And you'll also, that'll tell you your um, nitrogen and phosphorus limits. We have a plan that'll, a planner we put that into, but it'll also tell you your lime requirements on the farm, which is a bonus. So they're the, the, they're the, 
I suppose, the current ones. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, then, on the, on the dry stock side, I suppose, what they call the, the scape scheme, which previously was a suckler, suckler cow scheme. There's been an extension that there. And previously, people had to be had to have joined up and be certified by the by Monday, the 16th. But there has been an extension of people still need to apply to join, which is Bordia, by the 16th, by Monday. But they have until the 22nd of January to become a certified member. Now, as, as I understand it, there's a good few um, farmers who've applied for SCEP um, but haven't registered with Bordia and certainly haven't become certified. So that's just for those people just to keep that in mind. The other extension that was welcome, I suppose, during the, during the week was the lime scheme. Um, previously, you know, the, the lime had to be spread and uh, the invoices um, submitted, not paid and all the rest, by the 31st of October. The invoices still need to be submitted by the 31st and uploaded to the department, but they have until the end of March of next year to get it spread. Um, so, so that was an announcement made in recognition of, of the weather that we've had. And I suppose the last one that's coming out of this was the derogation farmers, you know, any of those who need to export slurry to keep in mind the 31st of October. That's the last day for submitting that. Where any of those farmers that would have submitted that would have um, exported slurry. Okay, yeah. that's all those uh, schemes and dates that farmers have to adhere to over the coming months. Let's move on then to uh, what farmers should be doing to wind down the year and uh, get ready for next year. Jim, I suppose on that, yeah, I suppose on the whole grass thing, you know, it has been a tough year. There's no denying it. You know, we went through a great February, then we had a very, very tough March, and the summer follows, you know, there was some very, very good Fridays made in, in May, and then the wheels came out into June, and then the wheels came off the wagon, I suppose, with all that rain in July. And I suppose the consequence of that, I've been speaking to a number of farmers and looking at some of the co-op reports. Um, I was talking to a farmer the other day, and he reckons you know, he'd be very, very clear and very, very good with thorough with his figures, but he was saying that, um, they're back six or seven percent cows, milk, mm-hmm. kilos of milk solids produced per cow during the year, which is substantial. Now, I've looked at a few of the reports and talking to some meat people, you know, they're back maybe two, three, up to six or seven percent. And I would think a lot of that is as a consequence of um, the weather. So that's that's where we've come from. And even still, you know, the weather conditions aren't ideal. Okay, last weekend was excellent, but like since we've had plenty of rain. So at farm level, I suppose, in, in the, it doesn't matter if it's dry stock or dairy, the same principles really apply. So on the dairy end of it, you know, what's going on, I suppose, there's a number of situations, and depending on whether some people have maybe enough grass and then dry each ground. So in that case, I suppose, um, you know, they've been tested recently, as you know, um, they might be on maybe, maybe all, mostly grass and maybe two or three kilos a meal. Some then maybe we'd be saying, you know, when you, when you hit the four kilos a meal, it's after you're feeding, you're probably at the upper end from an economic point of view, and I suppose from a cow point of view, as to how much it feeds, at this stage, it, it, it's capped at that. Then I suppose another cohort of people who are kind of in between, who, who, who kind of begin to ration them with the grass they have, three or four kilos of meal, and if that's not enough, then they're topping up, which, which ideally wrap, well, very good silage, which probably is surplus wraps they had during the year. And that typically could be maybe, in a dry matter basis, three or four kilos mm-hmm. per cow per day. And then there are some situations then, um, depending on the ground, uh, you know, where cows are in by night, and I suppose like they are, you know, grass by day, silage by night, and then topping up with the three or four kilos. So, so in terms of the the, the, the closing off, I suppose the two objectives. That's one I suppose the cows that I've mentioned are, are adequately fed. So you have the three situations I outlined. And the second thing I suppose is, which you might think we're mad at this stage, but just to keep an eye, you know, on next spring. Like some some people, we're in the situation now where we've we've come to a time where the paddocks that we're grazing now 
would probably be greys. I mean, the ones in the past week would be greys for the last time this year. So that those paddocks we expect probably would be closed off until next spring. So what we say to people, just as a very, very rough guide, that by the, first, by the end of October, that we have a target of roughly 60% of the farm will be grazed by the 1st of November. Um, and everyone can do their own sums on that. And the remainder will be stretched, weather permitting, and throughout November, however long that might last. And that people, some people may not even see November, you know, depending on the weather. And I suppose, some, just as, a, as an aside to that, I suppose, farms that are tight, more tightly stocked, their targets grazed off by the first will be slightly higher, maybe at 70 to 75%. So, Jim, that's, that's the run of it, you know. Right. And I suppose, similarly, I suppose, on dry stock farms, you know, um, depending on the type of stock on the farm, but those same principles would apply that roughly, you know, give or take 60, 65, 70% grazed off by the end of the month of October with some grass, maybe, um, whether it's making the ground conditions allowing into November. And the idea there is that you have some bit of a plan that the earlier paddocks will be set up, that you'll have some grass on them next spring when the cows are stocked go to, go to grass next spring. OK, look at Michael. Thanks for that for this morning. That listener was Michael Freeney from Chagas, and Michael is in the Clonmel office. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Paddy Bruton from Forestry Services and it is some time ago since I last spoke uh, to Paddy so it's good to have him back on air and uh, I'm quite sure it will be all about forestry and, and, and things that are coming up. Good morning, Paddy. Good morning, Jim. And thanks very much for having me on the show this morning. Uh-huh, Good no. to have the opportunity to chat again about something to do with forestry. Okay. How is forestry? You know, it's in the news and it has been in the news for all the wrong reasons uh, for the past number of years. Uh, are things going to get better, Paddy? Well, look, Jim, I think we should we should look at what has happened recently. And yes, we've had our issues within the industry, particularly with licences. I don't think anybody can dispute that. But the new forestry programme, has now just been launched. And in fairness, there's a lot of changes from the previous program. So in line with this, and I think this is kind of important for the people that are listening, the Agricultural Consultants Association, with funding from the Department of Agriculture and Food and the Marine, are holding two farm forestry open days next week. And I think these uh, these two farm forestry open days should be of interest to people both thinking about planting land but also people with existing forestry, right? So the first one, Jim, is being held on Thursday, the 19th of October, uh, on the farm of Finton Rice in Everard Grange, uh, Feathered County Tipperary. Uh, the air code, if, if people want to take it down, is E91D868, and we'll be starting that one at half ten on next Thursday morning. Uh, the second one, Jim, I know it's, it's outside the county boundary, it's in, it's in Kilkenny, but it's on Friday the 20th of October uh, on Brian Nicholson's farm in Johnstown County, Kilkenny. Right? The air code there um, is E41RT66, and we'll be starting there at 10 o'clock. Now, I suppose, why do I think this will be of interest to people? In fairness, the new programme has a lot of changes, and one of the schemes in the new programme is called the Native Tree Area Scheme. Now, this is a scheme that facilitates people to plant up to one hectare without the need for a full licence. And this, I have to say, I'm very, very surprised 
at the level of inquiries that we're getting from this for this scheme. It's huge. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing on both Finton Rice's farm and on Brian Nicholson's farm, uh, we're going to set up a demo of how this works. So we'll have it in the corners of fields, and that's how it's designed, this scheme, to make it easy for farmers to get into it. And there's a huge financial incentive of over €2,200 per hectare per year. So that, that'll be, I think, I think that's of interest to people, right? Right, Paddy, yeah. The second, the second thing, I think, uh, and we'll be doing this now, this one particularly on Brian Nicholson's farm, agroforestry. And agroforestry is a very new type of forestry in Ireland. So we're setting up a demo on Brian Nicholson's farm um, of how the three different types of agroforestry can be set up. And again, I think that's going to be of interest. And these are all very new, Jim. Yeah. So, you know, so it's, it's new, it's a change, it's different, it's good, right? Right. Um, now, then for existing owners, and I mean, unfortunately, in Kilkenny and Tipperary particularly, a lot of owners got impacted by ash dieback, and that's just a fact. And on both Brian Nicholson's farm and Finton Rice's farm, uh, they both have ash that they planted many years ago. Mm-hmm. So the review on the ash dieback report commissioned by uh, Senator Hackett was published last week. I've had a very good read of it a number of times, Jim, I can tell you mm-hmm. at this stage. I have to say I think it's a very good review. A very good review. So, and we would expect some movement um, on that, uh, particularly on the ash dieback reconstitution grant date, within a matter of weeks. So on both farms, we're going to be discussing about ash dieback. We're also going to be discussing about the knowledge transfer scheme that's available there for owners where they can get €80 Euros per night to, to attend uh, a knowledge transfer programme. Maybe more important than all of that are two things. Taxation, you know, which uh, everybody that selling something is interested in, so we'll be discussing taxation. But we're also going to outline how the new forestry programme interacts with the other agricultural schemes, such as acres, which, you know, nearly 50,000 farmers are gone into already, and the organic farming scheme. So, and there is much better integration uh, in between forestry and the agricultural schemes in this programme. And, and to be fair... I give a lot of credit to the Agricultural Consultants Association uh, for, for much of what was achieved, as well as the forestry representative groups. So, so I think this, these two farm days, I'm not saying it's the dawn of a new era, Jim. Right? Right, we, still yeah. have our issues. we still have our issues in forestry. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anybody can deny that. But I think this is an opportunity for people to come and see the new types of forestry, the new premiums that are available. And there, are, and there are significant new premiums. And see how they can get the forest premium as well as their basic income uh, support, the BIS and the CRIS. So there's going to be a lot of information on the day. I suppose the other thing I'd, I'd like to say, Jim, is some of the Agricultural Consultants Association, these farm days, will be in sheds on the farm and some of it will be in demos outdoors. So if it, is, if it does turn out that it's... Uh, not a particularly nice day for walking around a farm as rain or that. There will be information to be gleaned indoors where we'll hopefully have some tea and coffee and refreshments for people as well. So I, I'd be very hopeful uh, that in delivering these events for the Agricultural Consultants Association that we get a good turnout on the day. And I really hope that people get a lot of information on it and find it useful. All sounds very interesting, Paddy. I, I'll say that much. Now, Paddy, 
just before I let you go, just one other question to you. What's the price of timber at the moment for anybody who is has a license to fell? What kind of money are they making, particularly at clear fell stage? Yeah, and the timber prices are a bit like cattle prices, Jim, right? They do go up and down, right? And at the moment, the market in the UK is a little bit back on where it would have been in the recent past. So we're not at the peaks of timber prices that we would that we would have experienced during the COVID years, yeah. which surprised us all. We're not at those peaks of prices, right? But one would have to say that those peaks of prices were, com- were completely abnormal. No, but on long-term trends, we're still on very good prices for timber. Good. Now, obviously, when we're acting for owners, we're watching what the situation is like, particularly in the UK, and we advise owners as to whether this is a good long-term price or a very good or, or a poor long-term price. So right now, our advice to owners is on a long-term price, excluding the peaks that were achieved during that really abnormal COVID time, we're still on very good prices. But it's a market that needs to be watched, and I can't stress that. And really, forest owners, considering clear filling, they really need to get good advice before doing it. And good advice, Jim, not only on the market price of the timber, but also on the taxation side of it. And I really can't stress that enough. Good advice at that time is money well spent. Okay, Paddy. Now, thanks for that. Can you give me the days, the dates and the times of the two uh, farm events that are running the first one next uh, Thursday and the one that's following on after that in Johnstown. Okay, so the first one, Jim, is on Thursday the 19th of October on Finton Rice's farm in Everard's Grange, feathered in Tipperary. Uh, we're starting on that one at half ten and the air code is E91D868. The second one then is taking place the following day on Friday the 20th of October on Brian Nicholson's farm in Johnstown County, Kilkenny. Uh, we're starting on that one at 10 o'clock in the morning. And the air code is E41RT66. We're, we're really hoping to get a good crowd, Jim. OK. Well, look, Paddy, thanks very much for joining us. It was a pleasure to talk to you again. And uh, listeners, if you are interested in doing something about forestry on your farm, and in particular the one that Paddy spoke about first, this one hectare on your farm, why not turn up to either or both of those events? Listeners, one of the candidates for Deputy President of the IFA is Pat Murphy, and Pat is from Galway, and Pat is with me now. Good morning, Pat, and thanks very much for taking time out and for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's oh, a pleasure to be with you. OK, Pat. Uh, now, who is Pat Murphy? Uh, Pat Murphy, I'm 50 years of age. I'm married to Anna. We have three children, uh, Kira, Eva, and Parik. I live in Adran, County Galway. We're dairy and suckler farmers. We have some tillage. We also farm in Yuki County Clare. OK, so, uh, and you're... You're in the IFA for quite some time, so uh, can you give me and the listeners your history with regard to the IFA? I'm a branch officer in the IFA going back to probably the 
2001, the beast blockade that was there at the time when, yeah. when there was a lot happening. So I became an officer at that time, uh, and I'm proud to say that I've been an, an officer at either branch or county level ever since. I've been start, started off as branch secretary and branch chairman, and I'm glad to see that my daughter is now has come on board as as a county as a branch officer since. Um, I've nearly 20 years uh, experience of being an officer, and I suppose it's the 12 of the last 14 years I've been. Uh, on national council, I was Galway was given a second delegate back in 2009. So, in the 2010 elections, I was elected a second delegate from Galway, and in 2014, I became county chair in Galway. We had tough times. Those, as everyone knows, 2015 wasn't simple. But I'm glad to say that we played our part in guiding IFA through that and. Uh, worked hard to come up with ideas and work with people. <coughs> and in 2020, I became Connors Regional Chair of the IFA. Right. So, so this job has been 20 years' experience with me. Okay, that's very good. So, in those 20 years then experience with the IFA, uh, Pat, what would you consider to be your <coughs> biggest achievement? My biggest achievement, I think, is I have a track record of hard work, and I like to say actions speak louder than words. And we'll bring you back to this spring when fertilizer prices were through the roof in the Republic, yeah. and we could see across the border in the Northern Ireland that they were a lot less, and our figure showed there was 140 euros in the difference. So we proactively sourced fertilizer and brought it down in here to the west of Ireland, to try and reduce the prices that farmers are faced and uh, to force the importers, and not the, not the merchants, we didn't have a problem with them, but the importers who were, I believe, keeping the prices high, forcing them to cut their prices because farmers were yeah. paying through the nose for fertiliser. So that, I think, is my, my biggest achievement. Closely followed, I think, back about three years ago, before the the, um, the cap negotiations were kicking off, but just after I became Connacht Chair, we went around to each of the five counties to see what were the big issues that farmers faced in the five counties in Connacht. Um, what do they want out of cap? What basically someone to mm-hmm. listen to what they were saying. So we did that and brought together all of the points that people had in common. We call that the Connacht White Paper. Right. And the fact that we got people talking together, coming together, and having an agreed point, I think, was a huge basis for, we'll say, the fears that farmers had in Connacht about the, the cap negotiation that was taking place. Now, we didn't get them all through as policy within IFA, but there was a lot of things that were simple, practical measures that would have been a help and I think would have been would continue to be a help. Um, and I suppose one of the main points that came out of it wasn't policy at the time, but was adopted earlier this year by the department themselves, was the liming scheme. Yeah. That actually came from the con- from the Conifry paper discussions that we had. So those two things, I think, are things that I am very proud to have been a part of. Okay, very good. Uh, can I then ask you then, on what platform is your 
campaign now being built on? I'm building this platform, uh, this campaign on the platform of being a voice for the family farm and more importantly, the food that we produce. Because I'm very proud of the food that we produce. But when you see it being treated the way it is by or mistreated, especially the retailers, and being dismissed by people in government, like the food that we produce, whether it is milk, dairy, whether it is beef or weanlands, whether it is pig or poultry, whether it is tillage crops, it costs money. It's part of our business as family farms, and it keeps us as family farms in business in the rural economy, in business and keeps the rural communities going as well. But it's our biggest industry. And when you see people like, I said, the Junior Minister for Agriculture saying, oh, we shouldn't have to produce food for 40 million people. We actually produce a very, very good product. It's environmentally sustainable. And we it's one of our biggest industries when you consider that it's worth 13 billion euros worth of exports. So I think governments need to be more protective of it, need to be prouder of it. I'm proud of the food that we produce, and I'm willing to stand up and be counted on that, and to stand up for food producers and the people that, and the food that we produce, because I think somebody has to. And I think, adding to that, we need to start to sell ourselves as well as food producers a little bit better. And I would use the role as deputy president if I if I get this role, please God, mm-hmm. you know, that we'd be able to, that we would get out there and sell us as farmers to our customers, whether it is in the supermarkets, in every town, village and city across the country, to educate them to where the food comes from. You know, this food is locally produced. Even in my own campaign launch, I was lamb from Kinvara, or lamb from Gott, beef from Kinvara, cheese from from just over the road produced by by Theresa Roche, all locally produced. And we need to sell more of that to our customers. Well, we are people in the community, our customers are in the community, but a lot of people don't actually know where the food comes from. They don't actually know the sort of work that goes on behind the scenes, we'll say, in the care for the animals, mm-hmm. in the care for the crops. An awful lot of these things are lost. And I think if we could tell people our story because we have a good story to tell then people would have more of appreciation for food and add on to that then maybe our government would have more appreciation for our food and more importantly the people that produce it so it's not an easy fix but that's what I would that's why I'm running my campaign on this and that's my bigger my long term achievement is trying to make sure we deliver on that and I want to be held responsible for it as well Okay Pat you have been in Tipperary, uh, I'm in the hustlings. How did you get on in the jockey the night you were in Tipperary? I was very happy with, with the meeting in Tipperary. First of all, there was a magnificent crowd in it. Like there was over 250, 300 people in it. So to see that crowd, it gives you certainly the will to stay going and to, to keep battling because people had an interest. They, they're serious about what's going on. And you know, when you look at the, the, the range of questions, people are interested. Very, very good, progressive farm county. So it was great to be there. And I, had a, I got on well. I got a great reception both during the meeting and before and after the meeting as well, speaking to, speaking to the delegates that were there. Um, it was a good meeting. 
I was really happy with it. Okay, and uh, also, uh, Pat, you were at the hustlings in Clare, and considering that you have a piece of land in Clare as well, uh, how did you get on there? Uh, good. I have to say, people in Clare, like, my mother was from Clare, so it mm-hmm. was it was the hometown venue for me, to be honest about it, and it was only half an hour from where I live. Um, like, there's a lot of issues in Clare, mm-hmm. and when you have, an, when you have a, an idea of them yourself and you're constantly trying to be representing them, those issues, I think people appreciate that. Um, I was very happy with the way Clare went from it, very happy with the response that I got from the people, and I'm getting a lot of support even on my Canvas team from people in Clare, so I'm very, very appreciative of that. Okay. Now, Pat, uh, one final question to you. Why should uh, the farmers of Tipperary uh, and the farmers of Clare vote for you? People should vote for me because what they see is what they get. I'm a family farmer with three kids in college. I have a huge appreciation of the struggles and the challenges that families face on a daily basis. I also have a track record of hard work and delivery. With 20 years' experience, having come up through the ranks in IFA, my farmers can expect delivery from me. They can expect someone that's going to listen, first of all, to their to their fears and their challenges. And we had that over this weekend here alone. But I'm someone that they can come to. I'm someone that they can talk to. And I'm someone that will try their best to deliver for them. And that's why people should vote for me. I have an understanding of what they're going through. I share a lot of their problems, as this, as we say around here. I have the stone in the shoe that so many people have. I know their problems, and I can be a voice for them and hopefully deliver for them. Well, look, Pat, thanks very much for joining me this morning. That listeners was Pat Murphy, who is one of the candidates for Deputy President of the IFA. And if you want to... Uh, support Pat in his efforts to become the Deputy President. When you do go to vote, uh, can't you uh, vote for Pat? Listeners, of course, being a Tipperary man and a Tipperary radio, we couldn't but call in to see our friends in Abbey Machinery. And uh, luckily enough, I caught up with the real boss, Cloda, and I have David here, who is the UK sales manager for Abbey in the UK. So, what's happened since I last spoke to you, Cloda? A lot of rain over the last couple of days with the ploughing. <laughs> oh, no, no, we're not, we're not going on. We're not talking about rain. No, um, um, I suppose... No, look at slurry spreading in particular has changed considerably since you and I had a chat. So, sure. And you've had to keep up with the time. So what have you been able to do? Um, I suppose we've spent a lot of time on our low emissions um, slurry spreading and um, with the full range of applicators ranging from 7 metres up until 12 metres, a uh, full range of uh, dribble bars and trailing shoes to suit all the needs of our customers. Right. And uh, you have to keep then developing because it's 
going to keep changing, isn't it? Yeah, well, we have a full um, yeah. R&D team inside yeah. Nabby um, who are constantly um, progressing and innovating with new products. We have a couple of new products here and we had an award in the Innovation Arena yesterday evening, so oh, we're very, very exciting yeah. stuff in Abbey. Yeah. Oh, now tell us all about this. <laughs> These are the things we want to hear about, Claudia. Um Well, today we have a new trailing shoe. We have an AgriPro, um, which is uh, uh, suitable for the, for the new TAMS grant. Um, and David can give you some details on yeah, it. We also good. have two new type feeders, one in the Innovation Arena, um, which is, I suppose, inclusive of digitalisation around NIR um, and efficient feeding. And um, and the, the larger feeder outside, David, you yeah. might give some details on that. So the machines that we're, we're launching at the show, we're very excited about it. We have the uh, new AgriPro shoe, which is a 7.7 metre machine. I suppose with the shoe range, farmers are looking for lighter shoes as well. Just uh, We have a full wide range of shoes that can tick all the boxes. We launched that today at the show. Uh, we have that shoe here. We have a Shiftronic gearbox on our 2850 feeder. So again, about efficiencies, um, diesel saving, uh, the gearbox changes speeds depending on the load that's on the, on the in the feeder. So again, you're saving on fuel, saving on time, and saving uh, on your tractor as well, going easier, so maintenance on your tractor as well. And the third key part of the show today, we have the NIR sensor, which Close said we won the award yesterday for. So again, about efficiencies, uh, not overfeeding, and not overmixing your feeder. So getting the optimum feed every time. Concentrates for farmers are very, very expensive. They're putting a lot of expensive materials into the feeder so it's about getting the right mix every time the cow's rumen is working correct which again sustainability for the cow the atmosphere the environment so we're very excited three three new launches at the show we're very very excited and it's going good okay now david we're used to seeing the lovely orange machinery running around tipperary and yeah absolutely all across ireland yeah but how many of those machines are running around england Oh, we have loads and loads of our presence, thankfully. We're blessed with a great dealer network throughout the UK and Ireland. Uh, the Calvinists and the Abbey family have been they, working on their network. We're, 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 we're a fantastic network of dealers across the UK and developing that around the world. But our UK dealers, we're, we're proud to work with them. We've, we're celebrating throughout. 50 years with a number of our dealers um, yeah. this year and next year in the UK. Um, we're 75 years plus in business and I think we've been exporting um, for at least 50 of those years. So we're very lucky with the dealer yeah. network we've developed in the, all across the UK from the, from the tip of Scotland down to the bottom of, um, of Cornwall. Absolutely. So yeah, we're very lucky. Is it 75 years ago since your father started this? Well, I wouldn't say my father started it 75 <laughs> years ago, but um, yeah, from from when Joe and Mary um, took yeah. a, started on Abbey Machinery, 1947. So we're still 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 driving on. Right. Okay. Uh, four years after I was born. Absolutely. By the way. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that. Four years after I, I, I was born. Anyway, okay, you mentioned that you have you're all over the world. So where else are you in Coda? Um, so a global footprint. Um, yeah. So we're as far as Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, uh, Thailand, um, Iceland. Iceland, Poland. Well, you can you could find Free us country. anywhere. Right, yeah. okay. And the colour is the same no matter where we go. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Iceland is blue. Um, the the yeah. dealer over there orders the machine's blue, so gener- generally orange. But yeah, there's a few little colours floating around. Right, uh, yeah, I saw a blue someplace, and that's, what I'm, that's why I'm asking, you know, are there different colours? I just saw a blue recently now, and it was in Ireland, of all places. I suppose, yeah. look, we're, we're happy to paint it any colour you like, we, as long as it's orange. Give us a roll code and we'll work with you. Look, yeah. people are looking to sport their machines up a wee bit. Younger generation, yeah. matching them with tractors etc so 
we'll we'll do as the as the market. We'll talk to them. Our tr- traditional colour is yeah. orange, but we can work with it, whatever is required. Okay, you mentioned twelve metres. What kind of a tractor would you need to drive a twelve metre? So for the the twelve metre, you'd be working. Look, I, I saw one of them someplace else here. More than likely, look, you're probably going on to a tanker of at least three and a half thousand gallons. Um, so you'd be working on a, a 200 plus horsepower tractor so in that region 200, 250 so yeah 12 metre machines and even we, we outsource and work with other companies we go as wide as 24 metre uh, serial applicators etc so it's to meet tram lines and stuff exact, uh, for crops yeah. and stuff we're seeing a big interest from crop farmers uh, wanting to use the nutrients through the slurry on crops as well instead of artificial fertiliser so we're working at that too What's coming down the line Clauda? What, what are the R&D people doing? Am I go back to David again? Yeah. More of the same. Look, it, it, yeah. it, uh, for a ploughing, we're, we're launching three different machines. We're always changing. Sometimes changes can be, you may see them going on in the background. We're always tweaking and making things better than what we have. Slight changes to the machines, moving things in the machines to make them better. We're listening to feedback. It's days like this, so we get feedback off our, our customers. It's very important to listen to it. We bring it back in-house. We have our engineers in R&D here on site with maybe 12 or 14 people every day on, yeah. on the stand. It's key that we hear that information sometimes all our changes aren't visible but you hear people coming back and giving you feedback that's very very important but we're working away keeping it going look feeders is a big drive over the next few years sustainability keeping cows rumens etc so we're doing a lot of work on the feeder range tanker range as well we're working at that and more applicators so and i suppose the, the piece of sustainability and digitalization so yeah. how we can add to the current product to collect more data to make it more efficient for our customers Absolutely. and add value yep yeah. Uh, you're in the cloud, so and you're trying to get information uh, going up and coming back down to for you. sure. For yeah. sure, yeah. That cloud is a master machine. So <laughs> <laughs> it is. I think half my phone is in the cloud as well. Uh, as well. Look, it's been a pleasure talking to both. And of thank you, you very, and much. I very sincere, much. I sincerely hope that uh, Abby keeps going from strength to strength. We miss it in the town of Nina, though. You're going out there now to. We're, we're, in, we're, we're enjoying we're enjoying Jimmy Barra, but we're, are we're, sure? are we are, we are. <laughs> yeah. well, we, we, we really missed it there in what, Martha's Road. And we're still in our, Martha's Road and Abbey Retail, so uh, I said we're trying to keep keep the bright side out. And how is uh, Abbey Retail going in Clarehan? Both retails, actually, in Nina and Clarehan, are, are going very well. We've a great team down there, managed by Sean, Canaan and the team. So, yeah, yeah very good, very good. Yeah. So it's onwards and upwards. Absolutely. And, no, and I must say, this is the biggest display I've seen you having at the ploughing in all the years I'm going. Yeah, it's bigger, bigger and better this year. You have more machines. So, yep. So keep it going. So both going. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Rosemary McDonough. And Rosemary is the national chair of the IFA's Farm Business Committee. And it's budget week, as you all know, and some of you have done very well out of it, and more of my listeners probably haven't done as well as they thought. But uh, Rosemary is going to bring us up to speed in some of the main points, sorry, some of the main points of the budgets. Rosemary, good morning, and thanks very much for joining me. Uh, good morning, and good morning to your listeners there now. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I suppose the initial reaction to the budget is that the overall budget is down over 10%. The overall budget to agriculture mm-hmm. is down over 10%, whereas the, the overall budget to the whole country is up something like 5%. So really, if you look at that in real terms, it really feels like agriculture got up to a, um, a 15% reduction in the budget 
that's actually allocated to agriculture. So really, it's a long way short of what's required to bolster a sector which is struggling with high input costs, lower commodity prices and unfavourable weather, you know, for many sectors. Mm. Yeah. And so farmers really see little ambition and there's huge frustration out there at the, the, the budget, the way it has come at the moment. So on a positive point of view, we were lobbying very, very strongly on one particular issue, the residential zoned land tax. So I suppose because there was, um, Leo made uh, reference to it in the Dáil back in May, that um, you know they do recognise that there is an issue, it does need to be fixed in some way, so they have deferred the tax on that for a year. So there's going to be a huge body of work needing to be done. We need further in negotiations with the relevant departments to get farmed land exempt from the residential zoned land tax. So that's a huge body of work that still needs to be done. There was a consanguinity relief that was up for renewal as well at the end of this year. It has been renewed, no changes, and it has been renewed for five years out. So we definitely welcome that. I mean, that was that was very welcome that there was no changes there and we've got it renewed for five years. The, we, there was bar funding there, the Brexit Adjustment Reserve. Mm. There was no mention of that. The department could have used this bar funding to offset the impact of Brexit on our sector, yet they haven't chosen to do that. So farmers have only got something like 5%. That's actually disappointing from that fund. And it looks like some of that funding is going to go back to Brussels, which is a huge political failure. Uh, there is talks of something for the sheep farmers, but we need to see the details. The devil will be in the details. Um, our ask would be €30 Euro a yoke for the um, the yoke payment. The tillage support scheme, the minister has added to it as well. On funding for beef sector, um, there's a, a new scheme as well. Uh, that's another addition. Now, there are some changes in the um, land leasing. There are, it has been outlined that the land leasing changes are designed to target this relief more towards active farmers. However, we would be concerned about potential unintended consequences, specifically surrounding inheritance. So the detail around this will be very important. So we need to wait to see the detail that will be coming forward maybe in the finance bill. And a little hit, a hit well, not little, a hit that has come against farmers now is the vast refund that it's been, again, reduced from 5% to 4.8%. And this will negatively impact farm income. So that has taken money out of farmers' pockets. So I'd say they would be the main, main point right. of the budget. Now, overall, there are, you know, for social welfare, for the different, um, let's say, the energy credit has come in. There are a lot of other points in that respect that are pluses and good. Yeah, but there are uh, uh, other negatives there as well. Uh, particularly from the point of view of the cost of fuel that, you know, I mean, farmers uh, need oil and oil, oil has gone up at mid, well, midnight the, the, the day of the budget, you know, even if that's only the oil that they use to do their normal day's business and not necessarily it won't be the marked diesel that's going up, but the ordinary diesel is. Yes, I think so. The carbon tax is going up, will go up the night of the budget. Um, that's in legislation and that's put, I think, at another two and a half cents on the night of the budget, but then you have the excise duties that are going to be put on as well. They have deferred those now until April, May and maybe September, the two dates next year, but that's only putting off the inevitable. They are going to come again. And yeah, absolutely. The cost of fuel, it's really penal when it comes to farming at this stage because, I mean, it's, you know, there, there are no electric tractors no. Um, or jeeps to pull trailers. 
So the farmers are dependent on the agri-diesel that they use. So all those um, taxes and excise duties that are driving um, agri-diesel, you know, extremely high, nearly double in price to what it was a couple of years ago. That's a huge input cost. And then if we look as well at feed and fertiliser, they have gone up over the last year or two and they haven't come back down either. So, you know, they are huge negatives. And energy, there has been talks of, you know, little cutbacks, um, 10% maybe a reduction in energy, but it needs to come back an awful lot more. It's a pity how um, it goes up an awful lot faster than it comes down. Yeah, I know that. But look, at, I, I, I'm running out of time and I want to thank you very much. There's only one thing I would say. I think a lot of farmers who have forestry uh, with ash in it were hoping that there would be an announcement with mm-hmm. regard to what kind of compensation they might get. There was nothing about that in the budget. So we'll have to check out on, on further detail. Yeah. But definitely that is an absolutely massive concern. The ash dieback that has affected the forests where yeah. um, they have been planted and also the ash dieback on the side of the roads um, and the responsibility for that and the issue there is on all of those trees that are dead. That is a, a huge concern for um, you know agriculture and the farming community and farmers um, that are impacted by it on their lands in their forests or on the roads that are, um, you know, about their land. I'll chase up on that further. Okay, well, look at Rosemary. We're going to have to leave her there. Thank you ever so much for taking a few minutes out to talk to us. That listener was Rosemary McDonough, who is the National Chair of the IFA's Farm Business Committee. That listener is AgriPort for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon DeWire presents Down Your Way.